The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Empower yourself and get inspired to build the life of your dreams. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. I am super excited to have you join us today while we explore the concept of living a life of peace every day. Peace defined as wholeness, completeness nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. I want you to take a big, deep breath in, hold it for just a moment, and exhale slowly and fully as you just imagine, visualize yourself having a day, an hour, even a minute of just total peace. And know this, that yes, it is possible for you to have peace every day. Yes, you deserve peace every day. And yes, Yes, you can have peace every day. We work together on this show to bring you the topics and the guests to partner with you as you create your life of peace every day. And today is no exception. We have a fabulous guest today. Before I bring our guests on, I want to tell you about some free items for you, the Everyday Peacemaker. Of course, we are giving away our passion course, seven-day course to understand how to work, live, and be in your passion. Wouldn't life be so much better if we could exist in that space? So the seven-day passion course can be yours absolutely free if you would just email DrayvonJames at gmail.com and put free in the subject line, and we'll get that out to you. Also, we are Free. We have online courses at an online university. The Institute for Leadership and Lifelong Learning has a wonderful course catalog, and they offer free courses as well. Yours truly. I teach a course on there called the 2020 Clarity Course, but there are many fabulous courses on there. So check out the Institute for Leadership and Lifelong Learning. I'm sure you'll find something there that you absolutely love. So today we are talking with Dr. Esther Onyani. She is a pharmacist and a health coach and an aspiring functional medicine practitioner. She graduated from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and has been practicing pharmacy for 14 years in a community setting. She became a diabetes health coach after observing and recognizing the struggles of her patients, especially those with chronic conditions. Their their health kept deteriorating, their medication list kept getting longer and longer, and the situation, she realized, could easily be changed by changing some lifestyle habits. Her passion is to bring hope to her clients by empowering them to be active participants in their own health, helping reduce their pill burden and improve the quality of their life. Dr. Esther Ayani, welcome to the Everyday Peace Show with Dr. Drayvon James. I am so excited to have you on here today. Thank you for welcoming me here, Dr. James. I'm excited to be here as well. Yes. You know, I have been a pharmacist for 31 years. It's hard to even believe it. 31 years. So when I... um, 
came across your material and saw the wonderful work you were doing, I knew I wanted to have you on the show because diabetes, and you can tell us all about, you know, where we are with diabetes as a, as a country, as a world, and what's going on with that. I think people will be uh, amazed at how staggering the numbers are and what it's doing to people's lives. But before we get into all that, let's just get a little bit to know you and what, what I, I asked this question. I am, a, I'm a preceptor for the university here in Maryland and for pharmacy students. Mm -hmm. And I ask every semester when I get a new group of students, I ask the same question. Why pharmacy? What made you choose to become a pharmacist? Oh, oh yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, I grew up in Kenya, all right? And that's how my journey to pharmacy started. And I came to the United States after high school. But, you know, being in Kenya, uh, there was malaria, pandemic left for malaria. And so obviously I suffered, I suffered from that as well. And so knowing whenever I got sick, my parents took me to the hospital. And then while I was there, I just observed that people still were suffering probably a lot more than I was, even when you wonder why I was in the hospital. But my parents needed to be there. But so uh, as a child, I was just thinking, what can I do? Like in, when I grow up, I want to be able to help people who are suffering in this way because we were in um, a government hospital. So obviously it's for people who, who needed services at a lower rate or at, at, at no charge. And most of the time we went there, they didn't have medicine to back home because of that reason. And you're in a hospital and you shouldn't go home because they didn't have another way of helping you. And to me, I just thought they suffered a lot. And, and whenever they sent us to the pharmacy, the state of pharmacy was sent it for me because I saw this professional in the pharmacy who, after describing your uh, symptoms, would walk to the back of the pharmacy, a remedy for you, so you did not have to go home uh, without medication or without uh, your problem being solved. And so that's just exactly what I want to do when I grow up, uh, because I would be more accessible to people and uh, solve their pro immediate problem, really, if I could say that. And so, but obviously that was, uh, I thought I had at that time as a child. It's like a dream I stuffed and buried somewhere because growing in, that, in, in Kenya, I did not really have aspirations. Like I can make it to be a pharmacist. And uh, that did come back up when we had the opportunity to come to the United States. And, you know, they say it's a uh, land of opportunity. And so it was true for me. Uh, and, you know, the rest is history. I did make it through pharmacy school and became a pharmacist. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing. You you touched on something that many people say to me, even, even now. I just finished um, with a group of students. And one of the things that still 31 years later after, you know, it's been 31 years since my practice began and it was that how accessible the pharmacist was to be able to be uh, right there on the front line with, with the needs of the community and to offer assistance, which was very, very much appealing to not only myself, but a lot of people that I work with. And it sounds like the same thing for you as well. So fast forward, you're in this, you're in this career, you're serving in the community setting, and 
uh, as your bio states, you start noticing something that we all notice, right? You see the same patients over and over and over and yes. over. And if you're lucky mm-hmm. enough to have stability in your career, you, you grow with the community, you realize that, hey, these people are not necessarily getting better. And what I want to say at the forefront is that in no way are we saying that medication is not the answer. For for many people, it is going to be um, something that is necessary. But what we're Mm -hmm. saying is that maybe not just the medication, because if you've been taking something for the last 15, 20 years, and it becomes that maybe your levels are not even stabilized or you cannot exist um, you know, without it even for a day. Perhaps there is something else that you can either be adding to your um, medication regimen or maybe even perhaps if you happen to be one of those people could re- replace your medicine regimen. But under no circumstances are we saying to stop using your medicine without talking to your doctor. That's my whole point behind that statement. So here we are. You're, you're doing what most of us are doing. You're in that community setting and you're seeing these patients coming in. And for you, it was the trigger was with this particular disease state of diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So tell us, tell us what you were seeing with diabetes, diabetic patients. Yes. So basically, um, being trained in, trained, okay, this is how the how condition is diagnosed, and this is how it's treated. And we, we went to that, and this is the uh, standards of care or guidelines that have been put in place on how to treat uh, patients. And so when it came to diabetes, I observed that, yes, we followed the guidelines. We were given the medication and we went to the doctor. But then when I called them back, uh, they would say, oh, I didn't know that taking that medication, you know, and the reason is that I read on the label about the effects that it could cause. And so I did not uh, start. I wanted to talk to the doctor some more. But here you are, your condition is getting worse, you are still waiting. And then also just seeing how they continuously ask questions as simple as my blood sugar is still up my medicine and I don't know what to eat because it's already up there. If I eat anything, it's fast or I'm just going to eat lettuce. And you can just see how much of misinformation they that uh, or how much information they're missing. And also just seeing them uh, come in with one medication and then and Esther, I'm going to have, I'm, I'm, Dr. Anya, Yanni, I'm going to stop you for one second because I'm getting a little static when, when you're talking. I don't know if, um, if you can hear that on your end. The information that you're giving is so very important. I don't want our audience to miss some of the words. But, uh, and I do hear what you're saying is that you, you get these patients coming in and they have questions. Maybe they've read something, you know, we give this information packet and sometimes the side effects profile it's very disturbing to some patients for whatever particular medicine that they're on and disturbing to the point where a lot of them, not a lot, but some of them do say that, oh, I decided not to take the medication, even though my levels are high, my blood levels are high. I decided not to take the medication until I speak to my physician. And for whatever reason, either they don't make that contact with the physician or the messages aren't clear, for whatever reason, they do not make contact with their physician and they just go without medicine. And uh, we all know what happens. You, 
you know, this is not something that if left untreated or left with your lifestyle modifications not in place, the idea of this just going away, we're talking about diabetes, the idea of it just going away one day without any deliberate effort on your behalf is probably not likely. So, uh, and uh, that is so true. So I'll let you, I'll let you pick up from there. Uh-huh. And then also just um, whenever they have been diagnosed, they, uh, let's say they're at the doctor's office, you're told you have diabetes, you don't always know the right questions to ask to, in order to be able to take care of yourself when you get home. Sometimes people receive their um, information differently. Maybe they froze and they are thinking, I don't know what to do, and they didn't ask anything. And so they would call me to ask, what am I going to do next? And so I, I saw that need because they sounded like as soon as they were told or maybe that they had diabetes, they immediately went, their brain immediately went into complications. Oh, I'm going to lose a limb or am I, I'm going to get into dialysis. And they just felt like it was the end of things. So they, there was that lack of enough time to explain to them how to take care of themselves so that this condition does not become progressive or get worse for them. And so to me, it sounded like there's limited belief in what the human body can do. And I thought that I can influence or encourage these people to be active participants in their own health by stepping out of the back of the pharmacy to the front and tell them that, or at least encourage them that there is another way of looking at their condition. It does not have to be the dead end of your health. Very good. And I think that's a, that's an important message to have because a lot of, you're right, people hear this diagnosis and automatically sometimes they just freeze and they don't know. Uh, it's like circuit overload. They are just stomped and they're, they're automatically uh, in this scenario in their mind have buried themselves and, you know, and they lose uh, the ability to even ask a coherent question because they're just overwhelmed with the how could this happen and in all of the worst case scenario stories stories that are going on behind the scene so it's nice when when they when they settle down to be able to call the pharmacist and say okay this diagnosis i received a couple of weeks ago or a couple of days ago and i need to know what is the next thing to do and so of course for many years uh I think, you know, we were all saying the next thing to do is to follow the regimen. You know, we were still saying that, follow the regimen put forth by your prescriber and your provider. Uh, But in the medical community as a whole also does prescribe lifestyle changes to their, they're big proponent of lifestyle changes. And I wanted to say here, as as a people, I think that we have got to become a bit more, Proactive. I know you we said that in your bio, a bit more proactive in mm-hmm. our thinking towards healing. You know, that if something about our lifestyle is taking our life in the wrong direction, then we have to really make a decision that we're going to change those things about our lifestyle, even if, to a small degree, sometimes makes huge results. So you get these patients that come back and they're asking you this question, you know, so um, what are, well, first, before we go into that, let's talk about functional medicine, because as I talk this topic, like I normally do with people that I meet, 
there is a lot of confusion and in fact, just plain out ignorance about what functional medicine is. So bring us up to speed on that. What is functional medicine? When we hear that term, what are you talking about? Yes. And so when I first uh, ran into that term, I, I kind of thought, well, I thought I wanted to be a pharmacist, but there is more to it. Basically, something that was not brought up to us in school. We were just told, this is how you treat, and that's it. And then you make your own observation and see that there is more that's needed. So functional medicine is, um, the, is, is where you get to the root cause of our disease, the practice of getting to the root cause of our disease. So why are you sick in the first place? And it is a patient-centered approach that seeks to address the, the whole person rather than treating the symptoms so that if you know the root cause of uh, your condition, then you're able to address that, you're able to eliminate that, and then you uh, in the long run, you end up eliminating the diagnosis. And so it seeks to look at interactions among, in your lifestyle, in your environment, in your genetics, and how those factors affect or influence your long-term health or how they influence your disease. Oh, I love it. So it's looking for the... Um patient-centered approach that's looking for the root cause of the the symptoms or the disease. And I think that's so very important because oftentimes we are looking on the surface for what, the, what appears to be the cause. And oftentimes that's not the cause at all, but we're in the treating just that and saying, oh, well, the liver is over-functioning or under-functioning as it were. And uh, when it really is Okay, that's that's one level, but there's a level, if we go with, uh, just a little bit below that, to the cause before that, we get better results and, and outcomes of treating that. So how do, how do functional medicine pro- uh, providers get to the root cause? How do they do that? How do they find the root cause of something like diabetes? Okay, so it's interesting that when someone presents with... Uh, a condition or diagnosis, uh, sometimes the reason they are having it is not what we are used to thinking. So, for, for example, diabetes, you, you don't have diabetes because your blood sugar is high. The reason or the root cause of diabetes is insulin resistance. So this is when, uh, this is when your body no, is no longer or is not able to respond to insulin whenever it's produced by the pancreas and uh, so your blood sugar stays up and so and the reason for this is that insulin is produced so that your cells can take up the glucose from your blood but there's already a lot of glucose in the cells and it's stored there especially as we see whenever someone is not as active uh, when they're not being active moving or or using their muscles or the cells so it's stored there. And so the extra glucose is still lingering in the blood system and your body is triggered to produce more insulin because it can see that glucose, which is not going anywhere. And so as a result, you end up going to the doctor and they find that your blood sugar is spiked and, and, and then they diagnose you with um, diabetes. So basically what's causing your diabetes is that insulin resistance 
which there, which is not one of the standard labs that the doctor checks. Uh, and the insulin resistance is caused. Now we have to go deeper and look at what's causing this insulin resistance. What's causing it to to cause your body to produce so much of it and your glucose to go nowhere. And yeah, let's spend, let's spend a, just a quick moment there. We're talking about insulin resistance. I know probably the general public has heard, you know, antibiotic resistance, right? We hear about these super infections and we say, well, you know, because the antibiotic has become resistant to that particular, uh, the, the, the uh, bacteria has become resistant to that particular antibiotic. But we're talking about insulin resistance. And I'll let you just talk a little bit about that, about how the, uh, Insulin is being produced, but there is um, some problems with it being um, with it latching on to the cells and that nature. Do you want to just explain that just a little bit so that our non-clinical um, audience members can get the benefit of knowing what does it mean when you say you're insulin resistant? Mm-hmm. So basically, your body is producing a lot of insulin to respond to the amount of glucose that's in your blood system and that's or in your blood and it's obviously it's there for reasons that I'm going to tell you you know maybe it's your diet stress whatever it is so it's causing your blood sugar to stay up but it's also triggering your pancreas to produce more insulin but it's got nowhere to go because the cells are not taking it up and Mm -hmm. so it just spikes and your body is, so in a sense, your body is resisting that insulin because it's not responding to what it's supposed to do when the insulin is present. And what ends up happening is when your body sees a lot of insulin lingering around, it triggers it to store fat. And sometimes you'd see people with diabetes gain weight. And they're not gaining weight because they're diabetic, but it's because maybe there's just so much insulin lingering around, causing their blood to store uh, the fat or the sugar in their body and causing them to gain weight. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And that's one of the major things that we see with diabetes is this weight gain when really your caloric intake hasn't increased that much, right? So there's something there's something going on. That, that leads us nicely into talking about um, some things that are going on in the gut that could be participatory in uh, um, this this diabetic um, diagnoses and these symptoms and your body going into a diabetic state. Um, share with us a little bit about uh, some of the effects on the gut because gut health is everywhere now. You, t- you can't turn on television without hearing about gut health. Why is gut health so important first? And then why is it so important in treating um, diabetes? And I know we only have a few minutes left before we go to commercial break, but we'll take as much as we can before we go to commercial break and then pick it back up. Okay. Yes, yeah, so gut health, um, who is a Hippocrates, who said all disease begins in the gut. So your gut, your stomach lining has, is, is very tight, and it's meant to, it's meant to um, allow only nutrients that are useful to your body to be absorbed through, to go into your blood, to help your body thrive. However, with lots of um, things that we use, you know, the medication that we take that can be causing harm to your lining or the food we ingest even 
you know, that has uh, toxins in it, maybe it's causing your body to, to get sick. And that compromises that lining. So it can be other things that people eat or if they are sensitive to a particular kind of food. We've, we've heard of gluten, all of those cause your lining to weaken. And when it's weaker, it causes your, your stomach line, it causes your body to just absorb all the things that are coming through your gut without, you know, being tightly filtered. And then this become foreign, foreign objects in your, in your body, obviously causing or triggering your body to start fighting them. Yeah. And that's how the, you know, the gut affects diabetes I'll explain more into this yeah and I I love that you know it, it sounds it sounds complicated in the sense that there's a lot to know there wasn't here but really what we're saying in the in essence that there are certain foods that you are eating that I am eating and that look to be healthy on the surface like these foods would really be healthy for us but for whatever reason they are causing there to be a um malfunctioning of the gut, meaning things that shouldn't be passing into the bloodstream are passing in there, food particles are passing in there, you're having inflammatory responses to foods, and they're not disturbing enough that they send you to the hospital right away, so years could go on and you'd be existing with this inflammatory um, process going on in the body, and then one day go for a checkup because of a few annoying symptoms and discover that yeah, you've got some damage to the lining in your gut, which is causing, which has caused you to change your lifestyle a little bit and led to, um, uh, well, maybe not change it all the way, but to change, make little changes, but has led to uh, diabetic-like symptoms. Many other symptoms too can occur with uh, inflammation and gut health issues. So this is an important part that we're talking about, I think, and we're going to come back to this after the break to really, to really hone on into as Dr. Onyani talks about diabetic health and being a change in lifestyle, I think you're going to find it very, very interesting that a lot of those changes in lifestyle have to do with how we treat the gut, what, we, what we're what we doing for gut health. And like I said, it's become more and more mainstream in, in the commercials I hear uh, talking about gut health. It's so very important. Wouldn't you agree, Dr. Onyani? We're going to come right back after this um, commercial break and discuss uh, gut health and tips that you can do and definitely share with your family um, for improving your health if you happen to or know someone who is suffering from diabetes. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Create and build the life of your dreams. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Well, welcome back. This is Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James, and we have a fabulous guest here today, Dr. Esther Onyani, who is discussing with us uh, lifestyle changes, ways to improve your health if you're suffering from diabetes and decrease perhaps the amount of pills that you're taking or other insulins that you're taking by making some strategic uh, lifestyle changes. So just before the break, we're talking about 
uh, gut health. And I'd like to continue a little bit on that, Dr. Yanni, because I don't, it's, it's mainstream. The topic of gut health is mainstream, but I'm not sure that most people understand um, the effects of inflammation on the body and all that's coming from the foods that we're taking. So um, what are some of the foods uh, or pro- fruit, fruit products, food-like products? I see the FDA uses that term sometimes. Um, food-like products that are causing um, uh, damage to the gut and resulting in inflammation. Okay, so uh, things that are causing damage to the gut, so basically uh, processed food, because it's got all these chemicals that are used to process it. And Yes, you're eating the food, but you don't know what those chemicals are doing to your body. And they are compromising the gut lining. And then uh, foods that are, contain pesticides. So it depends on how you're, you're buying food, how it's, it's produced. That's why we see people say, oh, buy organic. But, you know, and others will say it is expensive. But depending on where you are, that's something to consider because... Uh, the pesticides are another thing that can compromise the uh, gut lining. But I was, as I was, uh, as I was alluding earlier, the way the gut lining, once it's compromised and it's allowing all these foods or nutrients that are not broken down to get into your blood system, they trigger your your body to fight because they see an, a foreign object. It's just like they would see bacteria and start fighting and here you have an infection. So they start fighting these foreign objects, which are nutrients that they're not used to. And as a result, it's, it, you have inflammation. So that's how inflammation occurs. And when you have inflammation, you're, it's a stressor to your body. So your body's stressing, trying to fight off this product, and when you're stressed out, your blood sugar does go up. So that's how it's connected to uh, the gut lining and it's connected to diabetes. So it's all that inflammation going on. Some other products that can cause your your gut lining to be inflamed would be things like uh, if your body doesn't respond to milk. So we have people who have... Um, Lactose intolerance, okay, so it does cause gas and all of that. But if your stomach lining is um, compromised and your body takes in the milk, the, the, there is the protein in there that uh, is called casein, and that protein can also trigger inflammation or uh, in, trigger immune system so that your body thinks you're, aller- you're allergic to it. And can cause you to have, of all things, sinus congestion. So you started with one thing, and it ends up giving you sinus congestion. You you didn't even you can't even um, put it together. It's such a subtle thing. So it calls for someone to really tune into their body, what they are taking in, to see how they can help themselves or what's causing whatever issue they are struggling with. Yeah, and I like something that you said earlier that I just want to hit on. You mentioned about um, foods that can cause inflammation and this inflammation, this damage being done to the gut lining and it causing an increase in stress. And a lot of times we think to ourselves, well, I'm not, I don't feel stressed. But what what I believe you're talking about, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a stress on the on the 
on the your system. So your body is working a lot harder than what it should have to do because you've got this food particles that are passing through the barrier and the gut and that they shouldn't have to be passing through there. So now your body's have your immune system is having to work is stressed because it has to work overtime in order to resolve um this foreign products that they see floating around in, in the in the bloodstream and what have you. So that's the kind of stress we're talking about. You may you yourself may feel calm and happy, but your body is stressed because these food particles that shouldn't be uh, passing through this gut barrier are passing through. Your body's trying to fight those off, and it's causing stress on the on the system, and thereby causing your blood sugar levels to rise. Right. And you're wondering, you're wondering what the heck is going on here, right? You can't figure out what's going on. You're, the body is, the, the human body is amazing at how adaptable it is. It's the, one of the highest functioning machines in the world, I believe, that what it will do to compensate and how long it will do it with running in the background. But always bear in mind that while it's doing these superhero things to keep us going, something else is being uh, deprived, and one of those things is being, you know, being able to um, to process the uh, the sugar level, and then you have this increased sugar level. So this is really good information. So we're talking about, you know, things that will increase your. Um, you mentioned casein. A lot of people don't even know that they you know this dairy, this dairy protein that occurs. And you mentioned causing sinuses, and that's one of the first things when I used to work in community practice. I would tell people when they came and complained about sinuses is to think about cutting out a little bit of dairy, which creates all this mucus in the body. And I think that's pretty much mainstream knowledge now that dairy is uh, very, very harsh on the system, very difficult. Um, to process dairy for the body. If you're sensitive, even if you're not sensitive, and you mentioned, I don't know if we have, we talked about gluten yet. Um, Gluten is something that I believe everybody to some degree is having some reaction to gluten, whether they, you know, they may not have full out uh, gluten allergy, but to some degree, I'm seeing people complain about symptoms that I would say, oh yeah, that's related to gluten. How are you feeling about grains and, and glutens these days? Well, and I, actually, the, the other thing with the gluten is, that of course, there's more knowledge of that now, but there is so many uh, other proteins similar to gluten that, that have not been um, researched or are in the pipeline, obviously. And so even if somebody knows that they are they have gluten sensitivity and they avoid foods that are, have gluten, this is still uh, research in progress. So obviously in future, we're going to find out there is other things that uh, cause our immune system to be very sensitive and, you know, lead us to other conditions or autoimmune conditions. So, but gluten is for sure one that has been uh, researched the most. Yeah, I happen to have some dear friends that have um, gluten allergies, and uh, it's really, 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 really interesting um, how severe uh, the physical effects of gluten can be if you're super sensitive to it. But I agree with you. There is a, and I don't, I, of course, I know as much about it as you do, but I think it's really related to all grains. Um, I, I remember reading something about. Oh my gosh, it's some kind of super grain. Anyway, I can't think of the name right now. Hopefully, it'll come to me before we end the program. But 
this is purported to be a super grain. And I just did some research on it for a friend of mine. And I was like, Ooh, there's a lot of gluten in this. And, uh, you know, I would probably avoid this if I had a gluten allergy or things of that nature. So there's a lot going on with, with diet. And what is the, what, it, what would be the, if you had to tell a diabetic, uh, some dietary things to maybe lessen in their diet, like the top, what would be your top five? Things to lessen. Yeah. So definitely processed, processed food, because of all things, all the toxins that are involved in processing the food uh, would be a major thing to consider and just try to avoid. So as, as I see a lot of literature say, just think, just eat things that you know what they are. Like if I see that leaf, I know it's a spinach leaf or whatever plant it is, not something processed where you don't know what, what's in there. If you cannot read the label, you probably don't want to eat it. That's um, a very good there, point. <laughs> yes. And then there is also just being able to know the names that are given to sugar so that when you see it on the label, you know that there is a hidden sugar in there because um, some of the things will say uh, how much carbs is in there or less sugar, whatever it is, but whatever name they gave it, it doesn't trigger you. And that also causes people to to use um, the sugar-free products or like uh, what is it? The, the sugar substitutes. Mm-hmm. The sugar substitutes, they also have a way of um, spiking your insulin and blood sugar because your body still gives the same response. So even if you took in a sugar-free product, it still triggered your insulin to, to and and still triggered your blood sugar to go up. That's why they don't always work for people. Oh, I like that. I th- I don't think that's a common knowledge. Is that so? Buying something that's sugar-free, if you are diabetic, uh, it may indeed be sugar-free, but that artificial sugar has the same impact on your glycemic uh, response and your insulin response. So uh, that is. Very good to know. And what what what's so we we got processed food, decrease those, decrease sugar, know the names of different sugars in your in your diet. What else would we say that they should do less of if you have diabetes? Okay. So besides diet, which when they when I work with clients I talk more about how they should naturally watch how some foods uh, uh, react how their body reacts to some food. So, for instance, when people will eat something he- healthy like oatmeal, and their tolerance is so low to the oatmeal that it spikes their blood sugar, versus another person who would eat it and they will not do the same thing. So, one of the things we do is I don't tell them to just stop this food and stop that and and you know go crazy and get lost in it, but What's your diet? What do you eat? So how is it affecting you? In other words, how is your body responding to it? Mm-hmm. So that's why they also need to check their blood sugar to 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 know what it, the food they're eating is doing to them. Is this the food I need to eat? Okay, that spiked my blood sugar. Maybe as healthy as it is, it's not for me. Uh, so that's uh, and then they have they look for other options 
So usually I would give them a list of options or things to eat in place of things that are not, that are not working for them. So I, I like what you're saying there. It's, it's not a one-size-fit-all type of thing. Functional medicine really goes back to the, the study of you as the individual and getting into the root causes for you. So we're not looking at a global approach here. And I love the example. One person would be able to eat oatmeal. Their system is, is a bit more in a repaired state than, than another person. They could eat oatmeal, and, and they know this because you have them testing their blood sugar at various times of the day. And so they try some oatmeal. It doesn't have a negative impact, so they can continue with that. But then you're also maybe working with patients who could not consume that oatmeal without spiking their blood sugar. Then you would know that this, at this point in your uh, your treatment process, you were not able to, to eat oatmeal. So it's more individualized instead of a one-size-fits-all. And I think that's always important And when we're talking about healthcare. We don't want to get too generalized and get washed out with the results. So... Um, so we were talking about diabetes and you talk about lifestyle changing and you're talking about making sure that your patients are checking their their blood sugar levels at various times of the day. What else are we doing as part of the functional medicine process in order to decrease the amount of pills we're taking and improve our lifestyle? Okay. So yeah, so watching what they're eating and then uh, followed by just... Um, implementing movement in their in their daily life you know as we said if you if you don't move that blood sugar is stored in the cells and it's got nowhere to go so your blood sugar stays is up it's spiked up con- constantly so and it's been shown that if you if you implement movement so some kinds of move, movement will cause your A1C or the the marker they use to see how well your blood, your your diabetes is controlled, it reduces that by 0.6%. That is a major thing because there actually are medications that reduce your, uh, that number by that amount as well. So which puts it to a point where you could implement simple movement. And this is like 20 minutes, uh, Workout of uh, strength training. So, yeah, if you're somebody who doesn't really like to exercise, we look at which one works out for you: strength training or is it walking? But all in all, it can lower your uh, A1C by like 0.6%. So, in when I work with patients, I do ask them to also see which exercise they like or which kind of movement they like because any movement is better than no movement. And then from there, we look at stress. What are the stresses in their life? Because that's one thing that causes your blood sugars to stay stay spiked. And um, so there is gentle stresses that are constant. You know, somebody will be stressed out because of uh, catching up with deadlines or even traffic or just whatever they've seen on social media. And these are the stresses that cause inflammation and cause your uh, blood sugar to stay up. And if you, if you, if you're able to control the stress, you're able to sleep well. And if you sleep well, you're able to keep your blood sugars much lower. Some studies show that if you, if you're able to get a good night's sleep, seven to nine hours, uh, I think you should go with whatever you can. And that can lower your A1C by 1.9%. That's 
huge considering oh. the medication will do it. Uh, yes. With, uh, you combine two of them. So imagine going your your lifestyle change, following your lifestyle changes and just simply going, just go to bed <laughs> and your blood sugar is uh, much lower. Or just try to find another way of, of uh, staying away from things that stress you. Or just take a quick 20-minute walk. And all these things combined, reducing your A1C marker, which is what a lot of people are familiar with, by altogether by up to up to three points. Which, if you took three medications of the diabetic medications, they will do the same thing. So uh, it gets you to think about I can actually do this because, and and by doing these simple things, I can actually have my doctor get me off whatever medication because now I'm able to do this on my own. And I love the fact that you're right, by three percentage points, right, you you could do what I call self-love just by increasing the amount of hours that you sleep per night. And I know that as we move along in our adult life and, you know, whether we're doing motherhood, where we have young children or whether you're working a strenuous job or running a really busy household, we tend to talk to ourselves and convince ourselves that we don't need seven to nine hours of sleep because we are very highly functional on a little bit of sleep. And that may be true. I would not argue with anybody if that's what their belief is. What I would say is something that's very factual is that although you may be functioning on the outside world, the inside, your internal being is suffering. And because all of that cellular repair occurs when you are asleep and you have to hit certain sleep cycles for it to occur. And for your body to go through these complete cycles, you need to sleep at least seven to nine hours per night. So start doing some loving things for ourselves. And especially if there's diabetes that you're concerned about is making sure you get seven to nine hours of sleep. Even if your body fights you at first because it's used to functioning on four hours of sleep, just getting in that bed, turning the lights out, making a conscious decision that you're not going to bring any technology with you to the bed and you're going to just lie there in a nice warm, you know, whatever your temperature environment is comfortable for you, but nice dark space and let your body start to decompress and go through the healing process. So we're talking about these techniques, these lifestyle changes Dr. Anya is talking, uh, Anyani is talking about, but they really sound like just love to me. Getting enough sleep, getting some time in nature, going for a walk and experiencing the beautifulness of nature uh, helps to calm down the um, sympathetic nervous system and put the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the calmer side of things, makes life look good, helps to activate that for you. And then getting a full, healthy diet. I used to call it the rainbow diet. I got that from somewhere when I was in pharmacy school, but, you know, making sure that your plate looks like the rainbow. You got like a lot of fresh stuff on there. I love how you said, if you can't pronounce that stuff that's in the ingredients, then that's considered processed. And you want to make sure that you decrease the amount of processed food. So treat yourself really well, live well, treat yourself well, do these, um, pretty much all, I know that, uh, Healthy food is a bit more expensive, but you're worth it. And if that's not in your budget, just knowing that you're cutting down on processed food and increasing on the sleep and the uh, time in nature and exercising should be a wonderful way to decrease your pill burden. Like you just said, you could be on three medications in order to get the effects, the three percentage points decrease in your A1C, one, your A1C. Um, 
three medications with side effects, right? Because every medication has some side effect profile to it. Everyone does. But what's the side effect profile to getting some more sleep at night? Probably that's pretty healthy, right? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> right? So, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer, really, in my mind. It's just a lot of discipline. We, 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 we tend to think we're wasting time when we take care of ourselves. But really, no part of your life can you do without having a body. You're going to have to have this functioning mind and body in order to do your life well and your worth, the investment and time to slow down. So we're talking about the ways that your lifestyle can help to improve your diabetes. And, we, and uh, Dr. Ayani just gave us three ways to improve our uh, blood sugar levels and decrease possibly three pills from our from our medication regimen, if you're on a three-pill medication regimen or more to treat your diabetes, because you can decrease by three percentage points just by doing these things. So with functional medicine, uh, I know a lot of times we're talking about decreasing our pill burden, increasing, uh, improving our standard of living. Sometimes we are conditioned to want um, the effects to happen fast, right? You say that your A1C is this level. Today, we want to know what can we do to bring it down tomorrow, right? And a lot of times we think even, even medication doesn't usually work that fast, but what are we talking about with functional medicine? How consistent do you need to be in order to see uh, reductions in your A1C? So like you said, it's self-love, really. Uh, but for someone to be diagnosed with diabetes, they have had this high blood sugars for about five years. Some people are told, oh, you're pre-diabetic, but then you know, they, they say, okay, I'm not diabetic, I can, I'm still okay. And they don't do anything about that. So it takes a while to be diabetic. However, when you start uh, putting yourself first and uh, implementing lifestyle changes, this can happen in a span of four to eight weeks. I've seen people who, who, were mad at the, the the diagnosis to say there is no way and in four weeks their A1C was down so it can happen really fast and then if you implement it um, in a way that it's more congruent with your daily like, daily uh, routine so that it's not impacting your daily routine to, uh, too much it's something that is very sustainable so it is actually very quick uh, contrary to what we think that, oh, I got to wait and got to go to the gym. No, it's all the simple things you're going to put in. It's not the fact that you need to go to the gym twice a day and um, get yourself on a very restrictive diet. You don't even have to do that. You just have to see what, what food is working well with your body, which exercise do you like to do, and uh, what can you do to avoid all the stresses around you just need to go walk in the backyard and that's going to help you and 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 here you are with your uh, a1c your blood sugars going down and even causing you to have pleasant doctor visits where they're saying okay maybe you don't need this medication at this point you know and it works out very well for you yeah, I, I, this is this is very promising information that you're sharing because these small minor minor changes can really cause a huge impact. You know, we're we're coming towards the end of our time together, and I have uh, two very important questions that I want to ask. Um, one, in talking to someone about this topic, she happened to mention 
ask me, do you think that functional medicine could help someone who is suffering from uh, uh, type 1 diabetes, um, insulin uh, diabetic type 1, as a result of a autoimmune disease? So she developed an autoimmune disease, and as a result of that autoimmune disease, she then developed type 1 diabetes. Do you think these type of changes would be beneficial in that type of uh, patient profile as well? Okay, so they are beneficial in that then they're not necessarily going to uh, to cause the doctor to say you're no longer a type one diabetic. But when it's happening, you're, there is a lot of inflammation going on in your body. So if you implement lifestyle changes and lessen that inflammation, it keeps your diabetes still under control, or and and as a result. You're not struggling, or it's not even progressing to where you're needing too much insulin. Sometimes it's uh, it's progressing towards all the other complications of that diabetes that can occur. So it's still you have identified it as type one diabetes. It's there, but. And before we we're running out of time, so before we the last thing is how can the audience get in touch with you? Okay, so they can find me. I have a, on my website, the wellnessfactfinders.com, or they can email me, my name, eonyoni at gmail.com, or just find me on social media. I'm on Facebook and on LinkedIn, and I do discuss these topics uh, on a regular so- basis. Well, thank you for being our special guest today. You've been listening to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Thank you for being an everyday peacemaker. Until next time, stay peaceful. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.